you have your Bibles, I would love for you to take them and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we will be in verse 1 this morning. And I want to go ahead and just jump right in this morning. We have a lot to cover on this topic this morning that you will find very interesting, I think, on the topic of speaking in tongues. And that is very much the title of the message. And so if you have found your place, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, he says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one, who, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And the greater is one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. In other words, it's all Greek. And so also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for edification of the church. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil, yet in evil be infants. But in your thinking be mature. It is in, the written, in the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people. And even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord and so the tongues are a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. And therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and he will worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. 
May God bless the reading and the preaching of His Word this morning. We come to this chapter that many of you will find very interesting and probably some of you have been waiting for, for us to come to this great discussion of speaking in tongues, this, this discussion of, that, that tends to happen within Baptist circles but also outside of the Baptist denomination. And so where we as Baptists, you know, we kind of fight with that debate of continuationist or sensationist, or cessationist, uh, you know, where we say that some say it ceased and some say, well, it continues and, and all of those types of things. This is, this is something that is a debate that has raged on for probably since the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And so this morning what I want to do is I want to break up this passage in two headings this morning. Paul's exhortation and Paul's explanation. So we're going to sum all this up in two headings, his exhortation and his explanation. But before we dive into those two, I need to quickly deal with context and an elephant. We need to deal with context and we need to deal with an elephant that is in the room. First, we need to deal with context. You cannot separate chapter 14 from chapters 12 and 13, and some scholars will even go as far, and I think I'm kind of in agreement with this, chapter 11. You cannot separate 14 from chapters 11, 12, and 13. What we find is, is that chapter 14 is Paul's period, the exclamation mark. It's the, it's the end of a theme that he has been dealing with. As we said, some may debate 11 and 12, 13, and now 14. In chapter 11, Paul began dealing with the gathering of the church. And how things that were correct and things that were not correct. So when they got, got together with the Lord's Supper, they were to wait on one another. They were not to get drunk off of wine. Women were not to preach. Those types of things. So, so we got to remember the context is the gathering of the church. So this morning, this gathering, this assembly. Not only that, Paul also dealt with the practice of spiritual gifts beginning in chapter 12. And so he was dealing with this because there was this issue of spiritual competition and so what Paul is saying is, it's, it's really not a, an I, but a we, when we begin talking about the manifestation of the spiritual gifts within the church, that, that we are seeking this as a church, that these things manifest themselves as, as evidence of God's Spirit with us, and that the work of God may be done in the church. So when you come to chapter 14, you cannot separate it from the context w- with which it's in. It is directed at the church's gathering, and it is directed on the teaching of spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 Paul gives us this issue of love to kind of basically, that was the part that was missing in all of this. And so now he comes right back to this issue. Now to the elephant in the room. As we come to the topic of tongues, we gravitate toward the question, is tongues a known or unknown language? Let me give you an answer to this. And by just two very quick evidence, only because of time we could go even more, but let me give you a quick evidence. That it is a known language. It is Greek, it is Russian, it is speaking a language that other people may know, that you yourself may not know, but but you speak it that they may hear. It is a known language. In Acts chapter 2, the people heard the gospel in their own language. That was what amazed them. They're like, they're speaking my language. Why are they not speaking Galilean? They were speaking their language. But not only that, I need you to look here at verse 21. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look at verse 21. Paul is going to make this very, very clear. He says, In the law it is written by men of strange tongues, and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, 
and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Paul here uses a passage from the Old Testament where God says he is going to judge Israel for their disobedience by the Assyrians invading Israel and taking them captive. Not, and, and notice what he says there. Note the word tongues. This is all capital. This is Old Testament. This is clearly referring to the language of the Assyrians, a known language. And so here was part of the judgment of God. We see this throughout Scripture. We see it in Genesis with the Tower of Babel. We now see it here in the Old Testament with the invasion of the Assyrians. That part of the judgment of God on the people was they would be surrounded by people they could not understand. It would be a known language, but the Israelites would not know the language. And so now notice in verse 22. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. We'll get to that more But notice he uses the word tongues again. So he's connecting the Old Testament prophecy of the invasion of the Assyrians in a known language that they themselves would not know to the speaking of tongues, the spiritual gift. And so what we see today, this idea that it is a heavenly language, this is a divine language that only God knows, the Apostle Paul is not speaking on that. The spiritual gift of tongues was a gift that God had given to the church in order that the unbeliever may hear the gospel. We'll get to that in just a moment. What we see happening today in many other places, that when we see the spiritual gift of tongues, it is not a known language. It's not Russian or Greek or whatever. It is something else. And the Apostle Paul is not speaking of any such thing. It's not this, and again, you say, well, what about that language of prayer where you in your prayer closet? Context matters, beloved. The context is the church. And and the context is the unbeliever. So so we're going to get to this. That that it had to be a language that is known so that everyone could understand it. Or that it may be interpreted that others may understand. But but, but it has to be a known language for somebody. And so when we come to this morning and we ask that question, well, what about this gift of tongues that no one understands Brothers and sisters, what we see today is mostly a counterfeit spiritual gift. It's mostly a counterfeit spiritual gift. The Bible does not speak of a gift that that no one knows but God. It is a gift that someone knows. It is a language somewhere. And as we walk through this chapter, you you will see why. It is a known language all the more, okay? So, so let's, let's jump into Paul's exhortation this morning. So laying the groundwork there, let's jump into the exhortation. And I think what you'll find is too many times we're, 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 too, we're debating, which I think is a good debate, whether tongues has ceased or not ceased, but, but that is not the argument that Paul is making here. There's a greater argument here, and you're going to see it this morning. So, so begin in verse 1. Notice Paul's exhortation here. He, he gives this in, it's in present imperative. It is a, a command. It is a call to the church. He is commanding and calling the church to do a certain thing. So notice what he says here. He says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. But notice what he says. But especially that you may, what? That you may prophesy. So, so, so again, love is the great pursuit of the faith family, but it is not the only pursuit. Paul says here that you must desire, or the word means to burn with zeal that you seek something out. 
You're seeking something out. So with the context in mind of the local church, Paul is saying here, he is exhorting the church, the faith family, that when they are to gather, they are to desire, to burn with zeal, to seek out the manifestations of the spiritual gifts of the church. Not you as an individual saying, well, I I really want to be spiritual. I need to speak in tongues. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that as a church who loves one another and cares for one another and loves God, that we are seeking the work of the Spirit within the church. And so some will have one gift and some will have another gift. We talked about this several weeks ago. The variety of gifts that God gives to the church. It's about the church less than, less than the individual. And so with the context there in mind, we see that Paul is exhorting the church that when they gather, they're, they're to desire this manifestation of spiritual gifts. But, but notice here... He goes further. He gets specific. He says, but especially, most importantly, you must desire the spiritual gift of prophecy above all other gifts. Paul is saying that we are to pursue and to burn within our hearts that the gift of prophecy or the gift of preaching manifests itself within the gathering of the local church. What do you mean when we say prophesy or prophecy? Well, prophecy is the revealing of God's word, God's will, God's plan to God's people. In the Old Testament, it did include this issue of future telling, what God was going to do, but that has now ceased because the canon is closed. We have everything that God is going to tell people. God is not revealing anything that is not already in Scripture. You need to know that. Just as God rested from creation, God has now rested and has closed the canon. The Bible is complete. Everything that God is ever going to say until the time that he comes back has now been given. There is no new revelation coming to any man, any woman. I don't care who they are or what they say. The scriptures are complete. And so when we talk about prophecy, the revealing of God's word, It's not an issue of future telling because God has already revealed everything that we need to know about the future and what is to come. What we're talking about is forth telling. That we are telling forth the will of God. We are telling forth the commands of God. Forth telling means that we are making the will of God, the revelation of God, the word here, we are making it public. Forth telling means that we are publicly proclaiming the will of God. And so that's exactly what's happening right now in this moment that we have gathered together and here I am, I'm reading the word and I'm preaching the word and I am telling forth what the word says. And it's happening all across the world today. And so Paul's exhortation is rather simple. The church is to pursue prophesying forth telling public proclaiming of the word of god in other words we are to pursue and earnestly burn within our hearts that when we gather together as a church that when we come to this place the word of god will be preached and proclaimed publicly above all other spiritual gifts including the gift of tongues now please hear what i'm saying he paul is it saying to the exclusion of other gifts. We need the gift of mercy. We need the gift of encouragement. We need these other gifts to, to be manifested within the church and, to, and for the work of the church. But Paul's not saying that you are to do it to the exclusion of them. Paul's not saying you are to ignore them. But Paul understands that the greatest thing that a church can ever do, brothers and sisters, is to preach the word. 
Spiritual gifts are needed and they should be practiced, yet preaching is so important that it is to be given a high priority within the church, even more than speaking in tongues. Look at verse 5. Paul says, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, and greater is one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. Look at verse 18 and 19. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you. I love this. Because they were abusing it. It was counterfeit. Paul understood speaking in tongues. So he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues. And in the ministry that I do of going and being a missionary. But then he says, however, in the church, I desire the gathering to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul will even go into this whole thing, spirit and mind. Yes, there's to be emotion. There's to be, it's not the Holy Spirit he's talking about, but the, the spirit within us, our spirit, our emotion and all that. Yes, there is to be those types of things. But brothers and sisters, if you come into the church and your mind is not engaged in the church, you will, we'll get to that in a moment. You profit nothing. And so as we look at this chapter, as we look at what we've read and what Paul is saying here, the main question is, do you consider preaching the forth or the foretelling of God's word as being spiritual? Or do you need something else this morning? Do you need somebody to speak in tongues so you can feel like you met with God today? Do you? Do, 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 do you need somebody to, to jump up and, and do something and music to, to be energetic? And Do you need something to, to make you feel like you have met with God today? This is what was happening in Corinth. They thought they needed speaking in tongues. They needed high energy. They needed outbursts of emotions. They needed entertainment. They needed dramas. They needed videos. They needed music. They needed instruments. Just, just like us. And if we don't have any of these things, if, only, if the preacher just gets up and reads the Word of God and expounds the Word of God and preaches the Word of God, then well, that's just not very spiritual, is it? You see, this chapter is far less about the issue of tongues and far more about the importance of the preaching of God's Word when the people gather. And so Paul directs, the church here, he directs you and me where our emphasis should be throughout this entire chapter. The preaching of the word of God is to have a special place in the gathering. And it is to be the prize. It is to be the, it is to be the one thing that we are willing to defend and fight for above all other things. Now again, before you begin to think, well, this is just about you, brother Brian, brothers and sisters. No, it's not. Who cares whether it is Brian McAllister or Trey Etheridge or you or anyone else who preaches? At the end of the day, what matters is the word of God being proclaimed forth. If it was about the person, then, it, then Paul would say, yes, tongues is extremely important as long as you got the right person. That's not what he's saying. And so the question that you need to ask yourself this morning is, is the proclaiming of God's word enough for me? Is every Sunday that when I gather together with my faith family and the proclaiming of God's word, that the word of God is being read and being expounded and is going forth, is it enough for me to know that, 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 it, it, that, it, that I am spiritual, that, that it makes me spiritual, that I am spiritual not because of how I feel or what happens in this service, but that Christ and his righteousness is what makes me spiritual. That it is the word of God going forward. Do I have a love and a burning desire to hear the word of God? 
the First Baptist Church of Jonesboro earnestly desire the spiritual gift of preaching. And I can help you with that examination, by the way. Again, not the, the person, not Brian, but just the preaching of the Word, the, the accurate and clear preaching and boldness of the Word. Let us examine ourselves this morning by asking three questions. What do you look forward to on Sunday mornings? If you, what is the one thing that you just can't, you cannot do without on a Sunday morning? Is it the donuts? Is it the Sunday school fellowship? Is it the music? Let's throw out the preaching, let's throw out everything else, but keep the music, keep the solos. Or is it the word of God? Because Paul exhorts the church here, even above all other spiritual gifts, Paul says, and, and our problem today is not even spiritual gifts, it's the other things. He says, earnestly desire the manifestation of the word being proclaimed. Do you prepare for preaching, for the preaching of the word throughout the week? Do you wake up throughout the week? Do you wake up on Sunday morning and do you, before you ever get here, have you prepared your heart for what God is going to say to you through the reading and the preparation and the preaching of his word? Have you, have you prayed for the sermon this week? To, have you prayed throughout the week that God would prepare all of our hearts and, and that God would bring clear and accurate messages to us throughout the week? Have you read the text beforehand? Because you know where we're going to be. I mean, even if you may go a little too far, a little too short, you, you, you know what's coming next. Do you read the text beforehand? Do you review last week's notes so you can put this week's in context? Are you willing to let everything else go and hold on and defend the preaching of the word that it may be proclaimed? How we, by the way, how we answer these questions determines whether or not we are following the command of Paul in verse 1. How we answer these questions, how you answer these questions, how we answer these questions determines does our church desire earnestly the manifestation, the spiritual gift of preaching with at First Baptist Church of Jonesboro. And the Apostle Paul is praying that it does. He's telling us this is that important. But notice now that Paul goes into his explanation throughout the rest of the chapter. Understand that Paul is not condemning or devaluing any other spiritual gift. He says in verse 18, I thank God I speak in tongues. No, Paul is setting the church straight because they have created, they have gone into chaos. Look ahead to verse 33. Look ahead to verse, we didn't read this, but, but, but just look ahead. Verse 33, he says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. So there was confusion at Corinth. Look, look, at, look at verse 27 and 28. No, notice what's happening here. He says, if anyone speaks in tongues, it should be by two or, or, or at most three, and each in his turn, and one must interpret. He says, but if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So, so what you had was, you had people just getting up and they were just talking over one another, and you had people getting up, talking in tongues and languages that no one understood, and it was creating chaos. Their pursuit of self-glorification created chaos and unfruitfulness to the church. And chapter 14 is an explanation of why they are to pursue prophecy and preaching over the speaking of tongues. Look at verse 6. 
Here's where Paul gives us, he sums up his explanation for everything. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you? There, there it is. What will I profit you? What will, what will you profit? He says, if I speak to you. He says, then he says, unless I speak to you, clearly. He, mean, he, he means clearly speak to you, either by way of revelation, knowledge, prophecy, or teaching. In other words, we speak in an if we speak in an unknown language when we gather, Paul is saying, and there is no clarity, then when you walk out of here today, you have profited nothing. But, but, but Brian, it, it felt really good. Paul says, if your mind is not engaged and you do not understand what is being preached and you walk out of here and there was not the clear, accurate preaching of the word, then we today have chased the wind at First Baptist Church of Jonesboro. It was all in vain and it was all meaningless. If the word of God is not, is not understood, it cannot assist or benefit the church. So look at verse 2, 3, and 4. Paul is now going to explain how the clear preaching of the word benefits the church. He says, for one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Or one who, he says, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. And the one who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but, no, but, but one who prophesies edifies the church. So, so three things here that we need to see very quickly that Paul explains why the preaching, the clear preaching of the word is better than the speaking in tongues and everything else. Notice what it says. First, edification. This means building up. So the spiritual, the, the spiritual building of the church, the, the growth, the, the walking in our faith, the discipling and growing to be spiritually mature people in a faith family here is what he's talking about. To be, to, to be determined disciples. He says preaching is a means that God has given us to grow our church's walk in faith. Walk of faith. Preaching strengthens our will against temptation. You will be tempted this week to go and sin. The devil will come after you. Well, guess what is going to help prepare you and strengthen you? Well, the preaching of the word. I, I know you may think that it's all these other things, but, but Paul is saying here the preaching of the word is what edifies you and builds you up. Your joy in suffering. Your love for one another. Brothers and sisters, if you are not under the, the weekly preaching of the word of God, you can never love one another. Your, your zeal for evangelism will fade unless you are under the weekly preaching of the word of God. And so much more. Again, is it the preacher? No, it's not the preacher. It's the message. It's the word that goes forth. And he says, this is why tongues is of no profit. Because when everyone in the, 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 the assembly speaks the same language and someone stands and utters tongues and if there's no interpretation, you say, well, we've, there is an interpretation. Yes, but what was the point if no one in that service spoke that language? Paul says, it offers you no spiritual growth. And so therefore, Paul says, desire preaching above tongues for the edification of families. Desire, know that preaching is the greater manifestation 
of the Spirit. Notice exhortation. This, means, this is a call to one side. It is a strong appeal to the congregation to come alongside. It is, it is Paul calling us and commanding us to obedience. When the preacher preaches and he exhorts, he's telling you, he's giving you a command to do. And so when the Word of God is preached, it exhorts us to repent of sin, to fix our marriages, to forgive one another, to repair the relationships with one another, to sacrifice the idols that you have in your life, to give more to missions, to love, to love others more, to serve our community more, and so much more. But if the exhortation is unknown, if it's in a language that you cannot understand, you walk out of here and you are not able to follow God in obedience because you don't know what was said. Verse 8, Paul says, if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? In other words, when the bugle says, charge! The sound of the bugle that, that is charged, go into battle! But you didn't, make, you didn't understand the sound. I mean, there was a sound, but it wasn't the sound. Then no one gets up to run into battle. And the same is with the church when it gathers that when we are speaking in a, in a way that no one understands, there's not clarity. This is even why preaching itself, let me just say this, we won't get on tongues, but even the preacher must prepare himself that he clearly speaks the word of God every week, that everyone understands what's being said. And then notice consolation. Paul explains, he says, this, is, this soothes and encourages the believer to continue the race when they're suffering. Preaching can offer comfort to those who face obstacles and failures in the Christian walk. Brothers and sisters, life is hard. Life is painful. And sometimes you come in here and you need a word from God. You need to hear that God is with you. You need to hear that God loves you. You need to find solace in God. And so when, when a loved one passes away, and we've seen this already now, already this week, it is Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd that comforts us. When you fall into sin and you are broken over your sin and you think God can never love you again, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When tragedy strikes our community and, and we're all in shock, Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And when the world comes against us and persecutes us, John 16, these things I've spoken to you that you, that, so that in me you may have peace in the world. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And when it seems that our suffering is too great and you are ready to give up, to throw your hands up and walk away and be done, James 1, 2, 3, and 4, count in all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But imagine if all of these verses were spoken in Russian this morning. Or in Greek. Spanish. Not one of you would walk out of here today feeling comforted. You would remain in your pain and you would remain in your sorrow. Brothers and sisters, this is why preaching is a priority of the church. 
it edifies the church, it exhorts the church, it consoles the church. And whether or not you agree with me, but I'm going to go and say I'm right, you need one, if not all three of these, every Sunday you walk into this place. To be edified, to be exhorted and consoled. And so when we come to the worship service with the hope of God's word going forth and doing his work, because we know that as good as the music may be, and we know as good as the dramas may be, we know as good as the video, all of those things may be good. But it is this word that edifies and exhorts and consoles. And so therefore the church should earnestly desire the clear and accurate preaching of the word that the, and the service and everything the, the service we'll get in this next week the service should be should be laid out orderly that we all hear what is being said because if it doesn't happen then you have profited nothing and you have chased the wind this morning but before you believe that brother brian is saying that speaking in tongues had no benefit Look again to verse 21 and 22. He says, In the law it is written by men of strange tongues, and by the lips of strangers I will speak to his people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbeliever. But prophecy is for a sign, is for a sign not to the unbelievers, but to who, those who believe. Paul is saying that the speaking in tongues was a judgment in the Old Testament. But now because of Christ and his death on the cross and resurrection, God has now taken, because again, go back to Babel. The, the, God judged the world and he gave them all these different languages as judgment upon them. And now because of Christ, God in his infinite wisdom and mercy has flipped the script and he's given us a gift that we can speak, that, that those who have the gift can speak the language of someone else that they may share the gospel. Speaking in tongues profits the church in its work and missions. Speaking in tongues actually made the message of God clear to its recipient. Now, First Baptist, do you see the glory of God in this, especially in Paul's day? Now, in our day, again, I, we can, I, I'm going to argue that it mostly, mostly has ceased. Like 90-something percent, 99 percent, I'm, I'm there. Because we can learn different languages in our stuff. But, but notice the glory of, God, of Paul's day here. The glory of God that in a time where people didn't know languages and languages hindered the gospel going forward. The language was a judgment on the people. Back in Genesis, it is still a judgment on people because how are they ever going to know that Jesus Christ died for their sins and rose from the grave? And God says, I got this. I got this. I'm going to give you a supernatural spiritual gift that is going to allow the church to go forth into all nations proclaiming Christ as Lord and Savior. So God supernaturally makes a way for the gospel to go into the world that men and women may be saved even though they cannot speak the same language. Does this not give us cause to rejoice this morning? Do you not see the love of God? Do you not see the love of God, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for us? That he sent his son that the world may know Christ. And we go, well, the world doesn't speak the same language. God goes, I'm not done yet. 
I will make a church and I will make a people who will proclaim the love of God, who will proclaim my love for them by supernaturally being able to speak a language they do not know. And the gift was not about the individual, but about the God who loved the world that he went to all tribes and tongues. That God loved to such a degree that he made a way. And if that ain't enough for you to rejoice this morning, the power of God to overcome the greatest hurdle of mankind had in preaching the gospel, the gospel of different languages. This is certainly a truth to rejoice in, FBC. But may I say to you this morning, it is not also a truth to rejoice in, but it is a truth to be embraced. Think about it this morning. If both preaching the word of God and the speaking in tongues was meant that the gospel may go forth with a clear message to the world, that people are sinful and they are under God's judgment. This is what you hear today in the prophecy and the prophesying, the public proclaiming of God's word. And so when tongues was being used and it was going for and Paul was speaking tongues, this is what they heard. You were under judgment and you were in sin. And God is going to judge you. God is going to come against you for your sin. But God, being rich in mercy and in love, sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins that you may be saved. That Christ died and rose from the grave three days later, defeating death, defeating sin. And that by trusting in Jesus Christ and turning from your sins, you can be saved. You who speak that language and you who speak this language and you who speak that language. You can be saved if you will believe upon Christ and repent of your sins. Brothers and sisters, if God went through so much to let the world know of the beauty of the gospel of salvation, my question to you this morning is, have you embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because it's that important. It's that important that it is preached clearly Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to all who speak the language, and it was that important that God made a way that it was preached to the whole world even when language was a barrier. If you are an unbeliever this morning, hear me this morning. God loves you. You are in your sins. And your only hope today is to believe upon Christ who died for you. Do not run from God this morning. But in the mercy of God, you have just heard this morning in your language that was mercy. Because if you were here this morning and you couldn't understand, that's judgment. That's judgment. But this morning you have heard the gospel in your language. And it is a sign today, brothers and sisters, that God loves us. That God is speaking to us. And so I would implore you, I would exhort you, I would plead with you this morning to run to God in salvation this morning. Find someone to talk to. Come to the altar. Talk with me. Talk with Brother Trey. Cry out to God this morning in, in mercy to forgive you of your sins. That he may be Lord of your life and King of Kings. And to First Baptist Church of Jonesboro. Brothers and sisters, the question, though we can argue the question, we can talk the question on speaking tongues, and if I had time, I'd go into even more detail on this. But hear me this morning. I wanted to stick with what Paul was saying here. FBC, you and I must prioritize the preaching of the word Sunday 
after Sunday after Sunday. And you must prioritize it in your life. Let it minister to you. Let it edify you. Let let it build you up and exhort you and console you every Sunday. And, And you have to be here for it. You have to be here for it. And again, you say, well, I watch it online. It ain't the same supernatural gift, spiritual gift. It is the gathering of the people. And so let it minister to you. But you got to be here. And you need to prepare yourself throughout the week. And then may I also encourage you, let it minister to others. There are those who are not here, believer and unbeliever alike. May we be zealous that the preaching of the word is so important and that it's so powerful that we seek to bring others into the assembly that they may hear the word of God and let it go forth in power. Brothers and sisters, let us defend the preaching of the word because there will come a day where they will persecute the preaching of God's word. They will do everything they can to shut it down. But may you and I stand boldly and defend the week in and the week out, proclaiming the foretelling of the glory of God. For this is the most essential mark of the Christian church today. In closing, I'll leave you with Martin Luther, who wrote, wherever you hear or wherever you see this word preached, believed, professed, and lived, do not doubt that the true church must be there. And even if there were no other signs, than this one alone, it would still suffice to prove that a church exists there. For God's word cannot be without God's people, and God's people cannot be without God's word. Let's pray.